Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. Welcome back to another episode in our series entitled, My Story Won't Wow You. My Story Won't Wow You. You know, so many people have asked me, where did that that series title come from? My Story Won't Wow You. And it really came from, I, I t- I, I've, I've seen so many great men of God that I've looked up to who get up in a pulpit, who get up and they share their story of how God saved them from a life of drugs or how God saved them from a life of this or that or, or whatever it may be. And there's, of course, there's plenty of great men of God that I know and that I enjoy listening to who, who don't have those stories, who have stories similar to mine. But I always sit there and listen to those stories and just think, wow, what a testimony. What a testimony. And when you come to my story, and if you've listened all the way through, when you come to my story— it just won't have that wow factor. I wasn't saved from a life of drugs. I, you know, I didn't smoke cigarettes. I, I've never drank a drop of liquor. I, I don't have that wow factor to my story. Now, I, I was, I did have a drug problem when I was a kid. My mom and dad drug me to church every single time the doors were open. And uh, no, I, I did, they didn't have to drag me to church. I enjoyed going to church. That's the way they raised me. I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. And if you've heard the uh, previous portions of this series, then you'll know some of the background of this story. But that's kind of where the, the title comes from, is my story won't wow you. It doesn't have that big wow factor that a lot of other testimonies you hear um, sometimes have. And so today we're going to be continuing that story. We've come really, really a long way all the way through the majority of my life. And you may say, you know, why would someone want to listen to your life? And that's a good question. I really have no idea. And uh, But I tell you what, when I first put the uh, first couple episodes out, I was unsure if this, uh, this series would really last. I was unsure of how long we would keep it going. Because I had the same question as you that you might be having. Uh, why would someone want to hear my story? Why would somebody want to hear about my life? I'm just a um, a normal person. And um, so why would somebody want to listen to stories from my life? I mean, I've seen some incredible things. Don't get me wrong. I've, we've, we've been able to do some incredible things, go to some amazing places. We've been able to see definitely miracles uh, by God's own hand. But why would somebody want to listen to my story? And I began talking to my wife about this, and she said, no. She said, people would want to hear it. And I thought, you're just my wife. You're being nice. And uh, But we started this series 
And I was really unsure of how long we would keep it going because I didn't think there would be much interest. But I tell you what, out of all the series we've done here, besides probably our interview episodes, um, this series is one I've had the most feedback from. Uh, from people who contact and say, hey, I've enjoyed listening to uh, your story. uh, It it does wow me, (laughs) as a few people have said that. And um, but I've had a lot of connection with people who say, you know, I've had a story just as similar as yours, um, where I was raised in a Christian home. And I, too, thought my story wouldn't wow people. But, you know, something I've learned through uh, going through and recording this series and then putting it out there is that, yeah, my story may not have the wow factors, but my story still needs to be told because it's the testimony that God has given me and it's a testimony to God's goodness. Look, you don't have to 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 make it for God, and, uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I've made it for God. Um, I've stuck to it a little bit longer than most of the people I know my age, but um, to you need that story to be known, and it's a blessing that God has given you that testimony, and you need to share it. You need to share it. And so as we come along, and my story won't wow you, we're here, uh, my family currently in this time machine we're in, you might say. We're all the way back on the mission field. We've arrived. We've been there a couple of years, and God is doing some things. God's moving. And um, we've, we talked uh, last time about just the difficulties religion-wise, difficulties uh, giving the gospel out. The people were very hard, and they, they were told uh, that we were a cult, and the Catholic Church did not like us. I mean, it was a very difficult, hard field. And missionaries who, who go to hard fields will understand what I'm referencing, how hard it is, how the people, their hearts are just hardened. And so we began to hold Bible studies on Sunday mornings, and and do some different things to try and get the gospel out to people. Of course, got the gospel to every um, three-quarters of the home on the island, and uh, began to pass out tracts and, and live in front of others, began to see people saved, and, and God was doing a work, a very slow work, a very slow work, but God was still doing a work there. But things were just hard, and they were tough, and it just seemed like things weren't going anywhere quick. We, we enjoyed our time on the island. We enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed living on the island, and um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. There were some things we got to experience and do, and we talked about some of that in our last couple episodes, and I'm not going to dive into that today. But one thing that we had begun to do was groceries were so expensive on the island, and I talked before about how their, uh, their main source of income for the island is tourism because they can't grow anything on the island. There's no, there's no fresh water on the island. They can't export anything, so everything has to be imported, including your food. And um, so... We began to, because of the prices and everything, we began to, my mom and I would once a month, her and I would get on the ferry and we would take the 45-minute boat ride, a ferry ride, over to the larger island. You can actually see it from St. Bartholomew. The island was named St. Martin. And we would go, and we would have two those um, those roller suitcases. You know, the big ones, the big uh, rectangle roller suitcases, the hard hardback ones. And uh, we would put uh, freezer bags inside of those suitcases, and we would take two suitcases a piece, one for each hand for both of us. And we would get on that ferry ride, and we would take the forty five minute ferry ride over to the larger island, St. Martin. And there what we would do is we would get a taxi or we would rent a car typically, rent a van or something, 
And there we would spend the entire day until the ferry would leave. I think the ferry left St. Bartholomew early in the morning about, I don't know if it was uh, 7 or 8 in the morning. And uh, we would take that ferry over, and then we would spend all day doing grocery shopping for the month. And we would get that get a rental car, and we would drive around, and we would go to different stores. They had a store that was similar to Costco, and you could get things in bulk. And so we would do that, and we would pick up, you know, typical foods that you need for the month. We'd pick up canned goods. We'd pick up uh, uh, cereal. We'd pick up, you know, the the dry good items that will last for a while in the pantry. We'd pick up those items because they were so much cheaper. Even with having to buy the tickets for the ferry ride, even with renting a car, even with doing all those things, we were still saving money every single month by going to a different island to do our shopping. And so that became a monthly trip for us. And so at the end of the day, we'd rush back. I think the ferry left St. Martin about 5 30 6 o'clock somewhere in there and we would run as fast as we could we'd get those suitcases and they would be loaded down with um, not only just dry goods but freezer items and they would be in those freezer bags and cold items just whatever we could you know whatever we needed and could save money on we would put it in those four suitcases and they would be as full as they could possibly be pockets and everything and then not only that we would have an overflow and so we would stack freezer bags on top of the the handlebar that came out of the out of the suitcase you could stack two or three freezer bags on there and so we would be loaded down running to the ferry because for some reason I always felt like we were a little late and we'd be running to try and catch the ferry and take that 45 minute boat ride back over get to St. Bart's get back to the house unload the groceries and everything which was exciting because we were able to have American food in the house again. And that became a monthly trip for us, something that we enjoyed doing. I got to have Burger King or some sort of fast food for the first time in forever when we would go over to St. Martin. And so we learned to enjoy that trip. But it was there in around, I think it was late 2012, early 2013, uh, my mom began to have some pressure within her chest and just some pain. And it was causing her to have a really hard time breathing. It was causing a lot of fatigue. It was causing a lot of pain. And so we took her to the doctors there on St. Bartholomew, and originally, I believe, they diagnosed her with a lung infection, gave her some antibiotics and stuff, and sent her home, and things seemed to be getting a little better, and then it just started to get worse again. And then it started getting to the point where she would have to spend just a day in bed and, and was having a hard time just even functioning. And we knew something was wrong. And I remember we, the St. Bartholomew doctors were unsure what to do, and so they sent us originally over to St. Martin and uh, to try and go to some other doctors, get some tests run and some different things done to be able to see exactly what was going on. And so once again, my mom and I were on the boat taking rental cars, going to the doctor. I remember sitting in waiting rooms and, and waiting for the test to be done and everything, and then loading back up on the ferry and coming back over. And finally, after a couple months, it got to the point where the doctor said that we have no idea what this is. Um, we don't know. And so the best thing you can do is to send her back to the United States. And, uh, you know, the American doctors, they'll figure it out pretty quick. You know, they, they have everything put together and they'll, they'll know rather quickly. And so we sent mom back to the United States with my littlest brother. He was just a couple months old at the time. And sent her back, and we thought, you know, two weeks, and she'll be back. 
Well, two weeks turned into three weeks, and three weeks turned into a month, and a month turned into a month and a half, and two months came along, and still nothing was coming to fruition. Still just pain, still fatigue, still all these different things. She said um, that you would, it felt like if you could imagine an elephant just standing on your chest, the pressure just like being crushed, that was the type of pain she was having and the pressure going on within her chest. And um, just the doctors had no idea she was going to be seen at infectious disease doctors. She was going to be seen at the uh, the Mayo Clinic, at the Cleveland Clinic, at all these different places. And finally, we, we were still there, and this was just a mess, really. And so here we are. We had been without mom for two months now, and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And you know, as a kid who has a, has a mom in the home, um, it can be very difficult when mom's gone. Things don't function the same way they do. Mom's not there. And uh, thankfully, my dad can cook, so we, we, we were able to survive. And uh, But it was just a difficult time trying to survive. We there, Of course, there was my dad and then, of course, five of us kids there and just trying to survive and make it through. And finally, we got a call one day, and the Cleveland Clinic thought they had found a couple things. Um, they found that she had blood plasma cancer, and that she also had bone cancer, and things weren't looking so good. And so I remember Dad took the phone call, and I remember he hung up, and what I can vaguely remember from that day is that he went to the room and closed the door, and we knew something was wrong. And so eventually Dad came out and talked with us and told us, you know, um, it's it's time to go home. It's time to go home. And so we packed up some of our belongings, just a few, loaded up the suitcases, got on the ferry, got on the airplane, and headed back to the United States. Upon arrival, we began to let our churches, our supporting churches, know exactly what's going on. And I look back at that time and see the the great thing that my dad did as a missionary and now being on church staff and and knowing missionaries, supporting missionaries, something I really appreciated about the way my dad handled it was is that um, he was so involved in letting the churches know it wasn't just a once a month prayer letter anymore or once a quarter prayer letter. It was like once a once every two weeks prayer letter and putting out updates and letting everybody know and letting our supporting churches be very aware of what was going on. And so we began to announce what was going on from the Cleveland Clinic, began to have people in churches praying across America. And so it came time for these tests to be done again, and she went back and... The Cleveland Clinic was shocked. They were surprised. Everything was gone. The cancers were all gone. There was no trace of them. Which, by the way, can I just say, is another miracle that the Lord is the great physician. He can still heal. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about faith healers. I'm not talking about the Benny Hens of the world who, who take their suit coat off and wave it over your head and poof, and they hit you on the forehead and pow, you fall down and, oh my goodness, you've been healed. You couldn't walk for 24 years and all of a sudden you're walking now. No, 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 no. Uh, you never trust a faith healer that wears glasses. And uh, But no, no, I'm not talking about faith healer. The only faith healer there is is God. And let me tell you something. The only power that God yields to is the power of prayer. 
And God came down, I'm telling you, and there was a miracle right there when the test results came back and there was no cancer anywhere. Well, once was supposed to be the, the terminal statement of life, you have blood plasma cancer, you have bone cancer. You know, that, that's things that are not going to deal too nicely with the body. But let me tell you something, God did a miracle because God can still heal and he yields to the power of prayer. What a testament to the power of prayer. Well, time went along, and still there was no diagnosis for what exactly was going to happen here um, with our lives and what was going to happen with my mom medically. And so there was still diagnosis for what was going on, where this was coming from, what exactly was going on with her body. And so they began to travel, and doctors, I, I can't tell you how many doctor's visits and different doctors uh, we went to over that time, but it was a lot. And so pretty soon there was somebody up in Brooksville, Florida, who wanted to try some things, and so they would give her an IV, and I think she had to have, if I remember the details correctly, I think she had to have that IV in for, I think it was four hours, and then they would take the IV out. They were giving her some sort of something. I can't remember all the details now, and um, but they would put it in there for a while. She would have to stay there at that little clinic, and then she would come back to Fort Myers, and so it became very apparent as she was going through those treatments that our family would not be able to return to the mission field. And that was, that was, that was difficult. Here's something we had worked for for a long time. Since 2006, when God had called our family to the mission field, we had gone through a couple of years of deputation. We had gone through a couple of years of language school. We had gone through a couple of years on the island and were just, just barely starting to get acclimated to, to the culture and the, and the life we would be living. And um, I tell you what, that was, a, that was a, a blow in and of itself, but in some ways it was a relief. And you say, why? Because the mission field is hard, and it's not home. And I'll tell you what, my, I, I, I'll give you a little insight into why it was both hard and it was kind of easy for me. And I'm just going to be very real with you today and let you know one of my failures I made as a missionary kid. And so if I have any missionary kids listening today, I'll tell you right now, I made this failure. You don't make the same one. Because going back, I wish I would have changed it. I wish I, w- I, wish I would have done some things different. We went to the mission field. We finally got onto the island. And as I said, you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I'm an American through and through. I love my country. I love my country's food. I love my country's language. And so when we went to the mission field, I'll be honest with you, I had a tough time because I just wanted to go back to America. In fact, I wanted to go back to America so much that I decided in my mind, well, I'm, I don't have to get acclimated to the culture here. I don't have to become too involved within the language because you know what? In just a couple of years, I am going to be graduating from high school and I'm going to Bible college and I'm going back to the United States. So I'm just going to be here for a little while. And so you know what? In some ways, I'd set in my mind and set in my attitude that, you know what? I don't have to get adjusted here because in a little while, I'm just going to be leaving anyway. And so in some regards, 
when we came off the mission field and that decision was made that we could not go back, in some ways for me it was both a relief and a hard thing. Yes, it was hard because we'd put so much time and effort in trying to be able to go there. And we had worked down there on the island and, and seen great things happen. And then again, but it was uh, almost a relief because I knew, well, we're here. We're here at home. And granted, whether my family had stayed or not, I would be going to Bible college, but I wish I could go back and change that. That was the wrong attitude for me to have. You know what I was struggling with? I was struggling with contentment. Here's Paul who, who talked about, uh, can I read the passage to you real quick? The, the passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 33. Paul the Apostle is talking. He said, Thrice I was beaten with, was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things, with our, without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? And in the, in, as he continues, he begins to talk about how difficult things were for him as an apostle. You know, but in another passage he wrote, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am, wh- whatever I'm going through, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just getting real in this episode. I struggled with contentment. Look, I wasn't beaten with rods. I wasn't stoned. I didn't suffer shipwreck. Although when I was on the ferry and throwing up, I felt like I, I, like, I felt like it'd be good to be shipwrecked. But, um, you know, I, I didn't go through in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils by my own countrymen. There was a time we were almost swept into the water by the waves, but that's a story for a different time. I, I didn't go nearly through anything that the Apostle Paul went through. And I still struggled with contentment. But I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I struggled with that. And if I have some missionary kids listening today, can I just encourage you, put aside the thoughts of, you know, well, in a few years I'm going to be going back to, you know, the United States, so I don't have to get adjusted here. No, 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 no. That's not the way you want to live. Because in the end of it, a couple of years down the road, when you are in Bible college, you'll look back with regret saying, you know, I wish I would have just settled in more. I wish I would have been more content. You know what? I look back, I could have been more useful to my family. I could have been more useful to the ministry. I could have been more useful to the gospel. For the gospel, I could have been more useful to the people of the island if I would have learned just to be content and enjoy where God had put me. Because you know, when I was there on the island, whether I liked it or not, I was in the center of God's will for my life. That is where God wanted me at that time. And I should have been rejoicing, not sad about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that being a missionary kid is a cakewalk. It's not. It's not all frosting and Cool Whip. It's not. It's difficult. Yes, there are things you have to leave behind. We've already talked about some of the difficulties of being a missionary kid. I'm not going to go over that again today. But by no means have I. Now, there may be some missionary kids who have, but by no means have I been through what the Apostle Paul has been through, having been beaten with rods and being out in Uh, stranded in the deep water for a night and a day. I haven't been through those same things. Why do I struggle with contentment? 
Why? You're kidding me. Our, our, car, our car blows a tire, and we get upset, and we get frustrated. And Paul says, why? He, he says in verse 32 of that same passage, he said, In Damascus, the governor under Aratius, the king, kept the city of Damascians with a garrison, desires to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall. He says, this king of the city was hunting me down, wanting to kill me. It was so bad, they took a basket, and they let me down by a rope with a basket down the side of the wall so I could escape. And we get upset because our tire blows out on our car, or goes flat, or we get upset when the the faucet starts leaking, or we get upset when, what happened to, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul was also the one, by the way, who said, rejoice evermore. Paul was also the one who said, In every gate, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I tell you what, we have totally blown it in regards to rejoicing and being content. Let me tell you something, missionary kids listening out there, one of the best things you can ever do for your life is put aside the thoughts of, well, I'm going to be leaving soon, and learn to just engross yourself within that culture, within that country, lean on your family, lean on the everlasting arms of Christ. Yes, it's tough. Yes, there's culture shock there. It will be difficult. But let me tell you something. If you just learn to be content and rejoice evermore, you'll be able to look back at that time and say, you know what? I did what God wanted me to do, and I have no regrets. And you don't have to be like me, because I look back and say, you know what? I messed up. If I could go back, there would be some things I would change. Be content. Rejoice evermore. And so the decision was made that we would not be able to return to the mission field. And so time was moving along. I had applied to Bible college. I would be leaving. And so we began to finish up my last year of high school there in the United States. And I was going to be leaving for Golden State Baptist College in uh, California, Santa Clara, California, under the ministry of North Valley Baptist Church and the leadership of Pastor Jack Treper. And so that's where I was going to be leaving. I'd be going there in the fall semester of 2014. And so time was moving along. Treatments were still happening. I was finishing up my last year of high school, and I'll talk about some mistakes I made in my last year of high school, um, maybe next episode. But it was decided that we, we wouldn't be going back to the mission field, and so Dad wasn't sure of what to do. At the time, we were living in the churches. Um, it was like a little one-bedroom um, prophet's chamber, and there was, of course, eight of us living in this prophet's chamber. And so there was a house right next door and uh, that the church had bought, and it was in disrepair. It, it needed some work. It needed a whole bunch of things done to it. And so I remember Dad talked to Pastor Don Strange, who was pastoring Winkler Road Baptist Church at the time, and said, hey, why don't you let us uh, fix that house up and, and, and let us live in it uh, for a little while, and we'll just kind of do a trade-off for a little while, and just until we figure out exactly what God's going to do with us. And so they agreed, and so the work was put in, and the house was repaired, and uh, we began to live in that house. And God was blessing and providing along the way, don't get me wrong, but it was a difficult time. And so finally, Dad decided that, you know, we're not going to be able to continue as missionaries. That's just not going to be the option for us. And so I remember that Mom and Dad loaded up. They got in the car. 
shortly before I was supposed to leave for Bible college, they got in the car and they drove to Macedonia World Baptist Missions, our, our mission board, to resign as missionaries. I remember they got there, and the story is told. Of course, I wasn't there for it, but the story is told. Um, they sat down and, and were going to resign as missionaries, and the mission board said, no, 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 no. They said, why don't you, since you've already spent time to raise that support, you have churches supporting you, why don't you pray about starting a church or, or taking a church that's hurting and, and being involved in what they call a ministry now called church rescue? They said, why don't you pray about one of those two? And so Dad didn't really know that was an option for us during that time, so he said, you know, we'll pray about it. They came back, and they began to pray about exactly what God would have us to do and then regards moving forward as a family. And so all this is going on and taking place. I'm beginning to pack everything up. I'm going to be leaving to heading to Bible college. And then, you know, something happened in my life that really, if it did, if Satan's plan had come to fruition, I would not be sitting behind this microphone today. There came a time in my life where devil, where the devil put all the cards out on the table, and it was an all-out war. I'll be honest with you, I really concerned my parents during that time for a little while. And there was some things going on, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in our next episode of My Story Won't Wow You. My friend, tell your story to others. Your testimony needs to be heard about what God has done for you. Until then, my friend, until then, we'll leave you on that cliffhanger. Keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.